Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Live from Southern California and broadcasting worldwide on Wealth Radio. A tax lawyer prescribing a dose of truth for entrepreneurs. A voice of common sense for the small business owner. And don't get him started on saving taxes. This is the Mark Kohler Show. Mark Kohler Show. Kohler Show. New Year. I, I sound like Frosty and Frosty the Snowman. I think that was his his special line. Happy New Year, everyone. <laughs> My name is Mark Kohler, your host today of the uh, incredibly creatively uh, uh, labeled and named radio show, The Mark Kohler Show. So that's me. I'm here. Excited to be with you. Gosh, seven years, once a week, live radio show, helping entrepreneurs around the country. I can't believe it. Another year under our belts here all together. Hopefully some of you were there from the beginning and that you'll be here seven years from now. Hopefully I'll be alive still seven years from now and uh, still kind of living my dream and the passion of entrepreneurism. So thank you, everyone, for being here. Did I say that? Entrepreneurism? I, I guess that's a word. Well, we're here today on the uh, – Open Forum Show, a regular show where we talk tax and legal questions, and I hope that I can answer your questions um, effectively and accurately, and uh, if I don't have the answer, I'll be um, getting them for you and covering them next week. So uh, my promise is to you that we will uh, continue to search for those, I guess, uh, tools and strategies that will help you better succeed in your business. Now, I know many of you are catching this via podcast. You may have already emailed in a question, and then you'll catch the show later. So some of you uh, will get that delayed gratification of your question answered. Thank you so much. For those that do have a question, you can uh, reach me several different ways. Uh, For those that want to certainly be heard today, I give priority to those that have set aside the time to be here live with me. So if you want to call in and get your question answered immediately, we always love a live caller. It's nice to hear another voice on the line so that you don't get uh, bored with my tone, although I try to be as animated as possible. But uh, if you'd like to call in, the number is 646-200-4285. That's 646-200-4285. I know we've got a lot of people on the chat line Uh, And if you do call in, please turn down the sound on your computer. There is a little bit of a delay. And I will be looking at my chat line for questions. I'll try to get to those uh, as best I can. And I've got just a host of emails already since uh, midnight last night. So every Tuesday, as you know, the newsletter goes out at midnight. I oftentimes am hitting directly send. It's not a delayed uh, process. Usually it's midnight, I hit send, and I go to bed. So I usually I'm up from about 9 to midnight working through some blog articles, looking at deadlines, looking at current issues, upcoming events, and I put that all in the newsletter with the help of my amazing partner, Matt Sorensen, who's usually back in Phoenix writing an article or two. So that's what goes out every Tuesday morning. And if you haven't had a chance to look at the newsletter today, please do. There's some great articles in there, some upcoming events. Uh, Matt Sorensen's going to be here in Orange County in a couple weeks in Southern California. I'll be out in Miami uh, the first week in February. And this is an exciting event I just wanted to mention. I'll be, uh, for those that are in uh, the southeastern states or you want to get away to Miami in those cold winter months, I'll be there in the first week of uh 
uh, February for the annual Entrepreneur Magazine Growth Conference. Uh, this is the fourth time I've been invited back. Uh, I say it humbly, but I'm one of the few speakers that has been invited back four years in a row. Uh, Barbara Kirkcochran, um, I can never say her name right, but uh, from Shark Tank, she's the keynote speaker, and then I handle a breakout session right after her. She's fantastic. Uh, some people have said my presentations uh, rivals hers better, but that's I'm just saying. Don't quote me on that. But uh, <laughs> for those that have heard me before, I actually don't want you to come and listen to me. Uh, I may sound like a broken record, but there's incredible breakout sessions about four to five different speakers in the afternoon and morning after Barbara, and it's all free. It's all free, and they announced the Entrepreneur of the Year that's awarded the uh, uh, several Entrepreneur of the Year's youngest and uh, most uh, uh, long-term business, new inventions, whatever. There's several categories, but it's fantastic, and it's all free, and it's sponsored by UPS. It, it, lunch is included. It's just you get a great little gift bag, you know, full of goodies. So if you're in the area, or if you're looking for a tax write-off, and you want to go down to Miami Beach. Uh, in the first week of February, please do that. Also, be in Chicago. I love going to Chicago in January. It's, I guess you Illinoisans didn't like that a snide comment, did you? No, I do. I really do. I, I love going to Chicago, and even if in January. And so I, I love the winter. I, maybe it's because I'm here in Southern California, so I get kind of sick of this 70 degree sunny blue sky weather. I know I'm not saying that to be um, in, uh, <laughs> make anyone feel bad, but uh, I like to change the pace. So I'll be in Chicago in uh, uh, I think the 21st or no 23rd and 24th in Chicago at some events that uh, are free of charge. Um, I think one there might be a slight fee on Saturday. It might be 50 or 100 bucks, but very affordable. Please look at those. You can look at the link. Uh, on the website, uh, on the newsletter, I should say. So anyway, check out those articles and uh, look at the upcoming events, and I think you're going to see some uh, very, very helpful info information. And we're in the middle of tax season. There's some important deadlines by the end of January. I'm sure we're going to talk about 1099s today, W-2s, and a lot of little tax strategies and tips. So, all right. Now, with that said, many of you know each week we do a uh, – kind of a tax and legal tip. I bring on some experts from our home office or in Phoenix, uh, here in uh, California. And this week, though, we have so many questions already in the hopper for our open forum show. We are going to uh, skip over that piece, and we're going to jump right into your questions. This show is all for you. It's about you, and I want to say thank you for many of you that have tuned in. Those that have just joined us, again, I'm Mark Kohler, your host today, and we're covering the Open Forum Tax and Legal Hour, where we're going to field questions from around the country. Now, to those, uh, we do have a couple experts that are going to uh, join me and help me answer some of these questions and give a little thought here and there, and we'll just blaze through these as quickly as we can. We typically run out of time, so we're going to try to be brief as we can with each question, but try to answer it as fully as possible. Uh, my first uh, I guess, co-host here today with me, is Chet Dalton. He's a regular guest on the show. He's just a wonderful individual. He's a, a young accountant, soon-to-be CPA, master's student at uh, uh, Southern Utah University. He's a small business owner, um, and we just love to have him as part of our team. He's been with us for years. Uh, Chet, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. How are you? Appreciate being on. Well, I appreciate you being here. Before the tax season really gets heavy, you thought you'd jump on. I, I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and then also we have Kevin Kennedy, a regular guest on the show. He's an attorney in our Phoenix office doing business and estate planning around the country and just a huge asset to us. Uh, Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us. I didn't think you would be with us. I got some a note that you might have an appointment, so you may not spend too much time with us, and you'll have to drop off. Is that right? Yeah, I apologize if there was confusion. I told Lisa I can I can I was planning to do my quick tip and then be on my way, but I don't want to take up time for these uh, if there's you know so many questions. So I've got a couple minutes. You use me however you want to use me. So okay. Well, if you need to drop off. In between questions, you just say, uh, you let us know, but uh, we'll have you comment maybe here on these first questions. And guys, please make sure that you uh, 
don't move around too much or keep your phone on mute until you come on the line. There's a little bit of feedback there going. Okay, so our first question, I got... Uh, I'm going to go to a, a legal question um, so that maybe we can get a couple thoughts of Kevin's while we've got him. Uh, this is from Ken in Illinois, speaking of Chicago. He says, Mark's thank, uh, Mark's thank, sorry, Mark, thank you for the open forum. I love the diversity of topics. Three quick questions. Okay, so Ken, Ken's already getting greedy here. Three questions. He says, number one, I opened a single-member LLC in August. I presume of 2014, in hopes of being prepared to buy and hold properties. I am closing on my first two properties this month. My strategy is to take positive cash flow and pay down the principal as fast as possible. Five to seven years, uh, lean free. Sounds great. He says, can I use this strategy with an S-corp when I have to take a salary? I have read numerous articles about the unpopularity of single-member LLCs. Any thoughts? Well, Chet, I'm going to throw this at one of our tax guys here right off the bat, and then I may say two words on it. But, Chet, would, do you typically want to put rentals in an S corporation? No, typically not. And the main reason being is the, the reason that losses can be limited because the difference between the basis calculation between S corps and LLCs. Um, that's the main reason from a tax perspective. Also, you know, from a legal side of things, if I'm not aware, there's issues with transferring assets out of uh, LLCs versus S-Corps, which I'm sure you and Kevin can comment on. Um, but, you know, from a from a tax perspective, it's usually basis issues that we kind of run into and, and why we suggest to keep your rentals into in, an LLC. Yep, and I'll just say, um, Ken, you are right on track with a single-member LLC for rentals. There's no problems there. I don't see an issue, and I don't think an S-Corp would be a wise idea to take a salary from a, from a business that's not producing ordinary income. Um, then he says, for tax year 2014, do I need to file anything for the LLC since I have only debt to show, no income? Uh, no, you don't need to file. With a single-member LLC, there is no extra tax return required. So don't worry about any tax returns. You may file a Schedule E. Uh, e is an echo. Make sure your accountant knows that you set up an LLC and that what your goal is to do. And then um, third question, he says, I thought there was an annual report. Yes, there is. Uh, maybe Kevin, uh, tell us about annual reporting when it comes to maintaining an entity, just briefly uh, what maybe Ken should worry about and any of our other listeners. Sure, yeah. Every state uh, has a little different um, requirement. So... Uh, like Arizona, where I'm at, for example, an LLC is one of the benefits is that there isn't an annual report to file. Um, but that's more the exception. Most states, and I believe Illinois, is no different. Um, there is going to be an annual report, so something, something very easy, something you may be able to do online through uh, Illinois' website um, yourself, or we have that service available to our clients and through our annual maintenance program is going on and, and making sure that you keep your LLC maintained and updated. What we what we want to avoid is if you are in a state where there's an annual report that's due and you get behind on those, the state could administratively dissolve your LLC and then that at that point uh, all the benefits of having an LLC would uh, fall by the wayside. So if you are in a state that an annual report is required, certainly you'd want to make sure you uh, do that. It's very simple. If nothing's changed, uh, your registered agent's the same, uh, address is the same. It's usually just click the box and, and proceed. So, I, I like it. Ken, one last note I'll make is that uh, in Illinois, you may want to take advantage of a series LLC and convert your LLC down the road to a series if you're going to have multiple rentals in the state in the future. That's just a final thought there. And also, I'm going to take a quick moment to give a shout-out to someone that has been a huge asset to our firm, but to many, many of you listeners out there. And I know that thousands of folks are going to listen to this uh, webinar, uh, I'm sorry, not webinar, our radio show podcast over the next few months as it works its way through iTunes. So I want to say a big thank you to Holly Butterfield. When Kevin brings up the company maintenance program, Holly was really the, uh, she spearheaded it and got it off the ground almost seven, eight years ago for our firm. She has been, uh, she was with us, one of the longest employees we've ever had in the firm. And she recently left us to pursue uh, more family uh, pursuits. And she just needed a break. She's been, she's a workaholic. She's amazing. <laughs> and I say that in the, with the best and kindest of words. And so, 
the company maintenance program is 150 bucks a year, very affordable for our clients to make sure their entities are paid up and their minutes are done every year. Very, very simple, and she made it amazing. And Becky Lloyd in our office has taken over that. So, folks, Becky was Holly's assistant for, assistant for almost two years. Becky's amazing. She'll do great. But uh, I don't know. Kevin, do you want to say anything? I mean, that's I just a little shout-out there for Holly, I guess. Oh, Holly will be missed, and uh, the sh- short time I've been here, she's been amazing, and I'm sure Becky's going to just keep keep that program running fantastically, and I think it's a great program for some of our clients, you know, are, are super busy, and it's just a great thing to outsource uh, those, tor- those uh, types of activities, especially if you have multiple LLCs. Uh, it can be quite uh, cumbersome to try to do all that your, yourself, and it can be well worth uh, the money to have us do that for you, so... Yeah, and I didn't mean to turn this into a sales pitch, but we really want to say thank you to Holly. And if any of you want to get a message to Holly and tell her thank you or send anything over a card or anything, I know that she's meant a lot to our clients over the years. Send that over to the Cedar City office or send an email to Lisa Owens there in the studio, and I know that she'll get it over to Holly. Uh, And that's Lisa at KKOS Lawyers as well. So, Ken, look at those options. You may need our support for the annual maintenance and uh, a series LLC down the road. Okay. Um, well, Kevin, I know that you were on a short timeline, so we're just going to, I guess, let you run. Yeah. Hey, I will be back, though. So thanks for your, thanks for having me on for a little bit. You bet. We'll catch you in a few weeks. Thanks, Kevin. All right. All right. Chad, it looks like it's you and me, and I don't know All what right. the feedback was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Kevin was, I think, shaving while he was on the phone with us, so I don't know what it was, but it was way too loud, <laughs> so it's going to sound a little <laughs> cleaner for all of you out there. Okay. Well, let's see what we've got going here. If there's a question on the chat line, nope. Um, okay, so here we go. So this is Nee uh, on the line, or calling, sorry. I always, I apologize, Nee. I sometimes say your name wrong, uh, but uh, uh, from Seattle. So let me uh, bring up this question. First off, I'll try to uh, let you know how to pronounce my name. <laughs> Although you did pronounce it perfectly the last time, you did say it. Nee Lee. So I said it right. Nee. <laughs> Thanks, Nee. I should have read her question here. This is how live this is, folks. I don't pre-read. I don't screen these questions. So um, I actually have a couple of questions. I recently purchased my first property to flip a property in my own name in December of 2014. I had an LLC at the time, but I thought that doing this first flip outside of the LLC would simplify my business taxes for 2014. And then I do more flips in the LLC's name starting in 2015. I've also made two out of three contractor payments that month and will be making the final one this month. The general contractor that I paid has an LLC in which I wrote the check to. Since I purchased the property in my own name, will I have to send him a 1099? I also plan on converting my LLC to an S-Corp this year. It's currently a partnership LLC since I plan on making profit and doing more flips in 2015. Will I be able to count this first flip as part of its income and expenses even though it was purchased in my own name? Well, geez, Nee, man, let's throw in world peace here too. Geez, tough question. <laughs> um, I will. I'll throw a softball here. Uh, here to Chet first on the 1099. Uh, if her contractor is an LLC, does she still need to send her contractor a 1099, Chet? Uh, you know, in most cases, no. You don't need to issue contractors to to entities. Usually, it's for independent contractors. Um, uh, that's usually what we suggest. However, you, you know, sometimes it doesn't necessarily hurt. I see companies issue 1099s to S-Corps all the time. Um, and, you know, with that, uh, I, I think that she would be fine without is- issuing a 1099. Yeah, and I think the, the, the big question here, Nee, is that you need to make sure you get a W-9 filled out from everybody that works for you. And I think what Chet's alluding to here is a contractor is generally going to be an S-Corp. So even though they may be an LLC, they could be taxed as an S-Corp. Therefore, you're not required to give them a 1099. But you know what, Nee? All of this is speculation unless you get a W-9 from the person that's working for you. So make sure that you get a W-9. And then anybody listening today, there's an article on this in the newsletter. Read up on it. you have to issue 1099s to most people unless they're a corporation. So uh, if you need help with that, we have a very, very affordable service called Cynthia Morales. Her name and phone number and email is in the newsletter. But make sure that you do issue 1099s if you pay anyone $600 or more. 
I think there's a question later on in one of the subject lines regarding 1099s. Um, but I would just say, um, uh, Nee, also, this is good for everybody. She said she did this flip in her own name, and I just am a little um, you know, nervous. I'd like you to put it in the LLC. It's not going to change your taxes for 2014 at all because you're still going to just report it on your 1040. Um, but you do need to convert it to an S-Corp if you are going to be doing more ordinary income in the future. So as Chet mentioned early on, if it's rental property, keep it as an LLC. If you're going to do flips, convert it to an S-Corp. The sooner you get it in your out of your name and into the LLC, the better. And I would try to deed it to the corporation or slash LLC before you close. That way you can claim it as income in your S-Corp for 2015. Chet, anything you'd add to that? We're good? No, I think we're good on that regard. Okay, good, good. Okay, another question from uh Want your advice on a 1040 NR? Ugh, you're killing me here. Why is it so difficult to do? <laughs> My, I share your feelings exactly, Davida. Uh, and how to justify doing it with a CPA when the cost to do it is double than the refund? With that said, the adjusted income is less than 10000 I was advised the benefit of filing a tax return in my specific situation is to continue to report the loss accrued on my rental property. Doing this will report the loss to the IRS, so in the future when I sell the property, I will have accumulated losses. Does this mean I will not have to pay tax against the gain because there's no gain? Could you please elaborate? I'm trying to get my head around this. Okay, well, everybody listening here, this is an important topic. The 1040NR is stands for non-resident. And the 1040NR are for non-U.S. citizens. It is required when you own property in the U.S. or do business in the U.S. Um, if you have an LLC and you're getting a K-1 in the U.S. for LLC business, or you can't have an S-Corp, you'd have to have an LLC. But it could be an LP or a double LP, triple LP. The point is, if you are earning money in the U.S. and you're not a U.S. citizen, you're going to have to do a 1040NR. They are a pain, Davida. I don't know how to get around them. You don't want an audit from the IRS. Um, and it is, and you kind of have this embedded question here that if I carry these losses forward when I sell the property, am I going to have a gain? Well, you might because you have depreciation recapture, and I don't know how much you sold the property for and how much you bought it for. So you might have a gain, but all those losses are going to come to your rescue when you sell. So, uh, David, I, I hope that helps. One thing I've written a blog article on is uh, – it's in my history of blogs on my website, markjclore.com – is there's an article on investing in the U.S. as a foreigner, things to be aware of. Um, I recommend you read that article. If you can't find it, email me. I'll send you the link. Uh, I can get to it a little quicker maybe. But, um, folks, if you have – investors out of the country investing in the U.S., they're going to have to do a 1040NR, and there's just no way around it. It's, it's just kind of a pain. So, um, all right, I'm going to jump over here to a more of a tax question and throw one at Chet here. I know, Chet, you've only got a few more minutes with us as well. Is that right? Yeah, I've, um, I've, I can be here for a little while longer. Sure. Okay. Well, thanks. Okay, quick question. You said This is from uh, Ryan. He says, quick question, I own an LLC and switched it to be taxed as an S-Corp for 2014. Do I need to do payroll in this business? Or since it's an LLC, can I treat it as I have in previous years with no payroll? Mm, Chet, throwing that your direction. Well, that, yeah, certainly so. That That's fairly easy uh, to answer. You know, from a legal standpoint, as far as I'm aware, I'm no lawyer. Um, you still retain the, the legal benefits of the LLC, but when you make the... S-Corp election through the IRS, they treat you as if you are an S-Corp from that election point forward. So unfortunately, when you make that S-election, you can't treat it as if it were an LLC because in the IRS's eyes, you're now an S-Corporation. Um, and as you know, uh, with an S-Corporation, you're required to take a reasonable salary on your earnings. So so uh, to answer your question, no, we can't treat it like an LLC any longer. It basically, from a tax perspective, is treated as an S-Corp. However, you know, if you have ordinary income, uh, the S-Corp is probably likely a better fit anyway because we won't be paying self-employment tax on the entire net of the business, but rather we'll be 
paying self-employment tax on only the portion that we take as a salary, and that's the one big benefit of the S-corporation in the first place. Yeah, and Ryan, I would just add this. If you didn't have income, so you converted it to an S-corp, but in 2014 you didn't have a lot of income, you may not need to do a payroll. It's only required if you do have profit. So run the numbers, and let me say this. you got about two weeks to figure this out, because if you did have 2014 and you don't take a payroll in the next two weeks, you're going to get hosed. So make sure that you uh, deal with it quickly. If you want to have some support on that payroll procedure, talk to Cynthia again. She's also helping with 1099s this month. This is her busiest month of the year. Be patient when you call her. Tell her how much you love and appreciate her. She'll like that. And then tell Cynthia, that, you know, here's what's going on with my S-Corp, and she'll advise you on what to do with your payroll. So uh, that's Cynthia Morales. And I call the main number at the law firm or accounting firm, and they'll transfer you over. Okay, Ryan, great question. Now, we've got a live caller here, and I've always said that we've got priority for our live caller, so we're going to hit that topic. Um, Bradley, uh, welcome to the show. Hey, Mark. This is Bradley Hines from Portland, Oregon. You came up and visited us uh, this past fall and did a great presentation. I bought both your books, and I've been listening to your radio shows, and actually I just purchased um, your trainings on – um, TurboTax and oh, QuickBooks. TurboTax, sorry. Um, yeah, the accounting. Those are software. swear words. Come on, Bradley. Those are swear words. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, one. I'm just joking. So, yeah. Um, but I had a, a question for you, um, and my my question is, I'm I'm looking at uh, purchasing a four a fourplex. I'm I'm looking to use some home equity line of credit, and looking at putting out about $150,000 as a as a down payment and the rest of it will be financed via typical bank loan. Um, And basically, what I'm trying to figure out is, do I have the option of being able to write off $100,000 of that HELOC against my own income? And the reason why I ask this is um, the the NOI from the property isn't high enough to cover both the interest expense from the two loans and the depreciation. So rather than pushing off those... um, those tax credits into future years, it'd be great to be able to use those in the year that they that they come in. Well, Bradley, I love this question, and I just got chills. I love doing the show, and when someone calls up and I feel like I'm connecting with someone from Portland, which I, I love, I love the Northwest, this means a lot. So this is easy. So, Bradley, you're going to love the answer, too. Whenever you use a home credit, home equity line to fund your business, now that could be rentals or any business, that loan transforms into a business loan. So now any interest you pay on that HELOC is deductible in the business. Even though your home has secured the loan and it's a HELOC in the eyes of the bank, in the eyes of the IRS, that is a business loan. So you would be able to deduct the HELOC interest, the first mortgage interest on the rental property, plus your depreciation, cell phone travel, dining, entertainment, all that good stuff, you better dang well generate a loss that's going to be deductible, hopefully, against your other income. And it'll all come together, and a river runs through it, baby. I love it. So that's my, my one question is when it um, when it comes back to my income, since I've got over 150000 in income, it looks like I'm not going to be able to benefit from that and was hoping that I could um, not connect it, basically not have it be a business loan. But it sounds like it, it has to be, even if it's not ben- beneficial to me. Well, now, are you single or married? Married. Okay. Is your wife a real estate professional by any wild chance? No, we don't. I know. We don't have. We don't seem to meet either the income or the professional status. But I was hoping yes. this might be a way to skirt through it, but maybe it isn't. No, I wish there was some okay. sort of uh, backdoor. But here, let me say this. You'll get the deduction. It's just delayed gratification. Those right. losses are going to be captured and carried forward. And that's okay. I'm in the same boat as you. So take advantage of all the write-offs, capture them, give all that info to your accountant, and that loss will just pool and pool and pool. It'll be great. You'll love it. Okay. Thanks, Mark. So, well, thank you, and uh, uh, thanks for calling in. I appreciate it. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm going to um, – I'll just say it quickly. Chet, anything you want to add to that? 
No, not necessarily. I think you're spot on there. As you said, it's not. while he may not get a, an immediate benefit from that on the current tax year, like you said, uh, certainly those losses will continue to carry forward until the property is disposed of, and, and then he'll get to take advantage of those losses. Yeah. Well, I like it. Thank you. Okay, now we've got a couple questions here. Um, I'm not sure if they're going to have a tax aspect. So, Chet, I appreciate you being in the wings. And if you need to run uh, at some point, let us know. Glad sure. to have uh, anybody here on the show with me. Um, okay, we've got Aaron from San Francisco Bay Area. He says, uh, okay, so you uh, – and it's spelled in the uh, the male the uh, male type spelling, not the female spelling. So I think we're okay here. Uh, he says, okay, so you always discuss the necessity of having a small business to take advantage of write-offs. So I have one rental property. What does that now entitle me in the way of write-offs? What are the advantages that are accessible to me? Family vacations, your workshops, et cetera, working on the property. What do I get with one? Well, Aaron, big topic, and let me uh, take a shot at it here for a minute or two. Having a rental property is a great pseudo-small business, and this plays right into the last topic that we just covered with Bradley. It's a pseudo-small business because on one hand, You've got income, expenses. I want you to track everything. Uh, the, the workshops, the, the cell phone, the home office, the, the repairs, the, the tools, the maintenance, the interest we just talked about in Bradley's loan. All of that is excellent. And you do have a small business. Now, why it's a pseudo-small business is because, on the other hand, those losses may be limited, meaning based on your income, you may not be able to tie off against those right now this year. You might have to carry them forward, which isn't the end of the world. You sell any rental property or have some gains, you'll be able to take the write-offs. So it's still a good investment. It's still a wise way to build wealth. It's just the write-offs might be, again, a delayed gratification, which is fine. So you've got this pseudo-small business. And again, based on your income, it could play out differently. Knowing that you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, your income could be higher than average. You're in a very expensive uh, cost of living area. So I suspect that you'll be carrying those losses forward. I would recommend read my chapter and what your CPA isn't telling you on rental property and where the real estate professional classification plays in. That could work for you or your spouse, which allows 100% write-off. Whole other topic. Um, okay. Uh, another question here uh, from Joe in North Carolina. He says, if I had an S-Corp and my wife worked in the business but uh, was not a shareholder, could I hire her as an employee and do a family health reimbursement account? That would cover me as well. I know you had mentioned a family management company, but you did not go into too much detail on that strategy and how it would work. Well, Joe, I'm not sure where you heard me talk about it. It could have been at my live event I did in North Carolina earlier, um, this, or I should say late in the year, and so I apologize at the time if you felt I brushed over it. Here's the deal, and this is good for everybody listening. If you want to hire a spouse or a family member to write off all their health care and include you as a dependent of that family member, that's awesome. You just can't do it in an S corporation because the rules prevent you from providing such a wonderful health care strategy for you and or your spouse in an S corp. So to do the HRA, you have to hire your spouse in that family management company, which is a sole proprietorship, kind of like a support company to the S-Corp. ERISA, ERISA, meaning the Employment Retirement Security Act, the IRS, uh, Congress, everybody's familiar with this strategy. It's been around for years. It's not some sort of gray, loophole, get audited strategy. It's very common. Just don't hire your spouse in the S-Corp. Hire your spouse in a Schedule C, provide the HRA, and backdoor all of your medical as a deduction in the Schedule C that gets a payment from the S-Corp for management services. Again, this is a topic I cover in my, I covered in a webinar in detail uh, that you can watch recorded on, as part of my Strategic Wealth Alliance webinar series. It's 20 bucks, and I'm doing another webinar next week. Many of you will get an email with kind of the topic that's coming up next week. But if you'd like to um, watch that video, for 20 bucks, it'll explain it in detail, and then we can do a follow-up consult if you need. We charge $200 to set up an HRA, Joe, so, uh, and that includes a half hour of support as well. So very, very common strategy, good stuff. 
Um, and if you want to sign up for that, go to markjcolor.com or just call Justin in my office, Justin Brault. Call any of the numbers and ask for Justin, and he'll get you signed up for that um, webinar. Um, but the S-Corp has some unique rules. So, um, Chet, anything you want to add to the health uh, care deduction strategy there? Nope, not necessarily. I, I think that uh, you explained it very well. Um, you know, one other item I think that you may be able to use is if she's not currently an owner of the S-Corp, you may be able to make her an owner. Um, I know that sometimes that there's some issues uh, there uh, where uh, clients receiving Social Security benefits and what have you can't necessarily own any assets, but uh, you may have an, an option there as well. And bring her on yeah, as a I like it. Yeah, no, great idea. There's some options there. So get with your cons uh, tax consultant and go through it. Okay, we've got a question here from Wayne in Arizona. He says, Mark, I'm reading your book, Lawyers or Liars, and I know your feelings about the land trust. Almost afraid to ask this question. Ha ha. <laughs> I, I, and that's okay. I'm not a fan of land trusts for asset protection, but they could work for a transaction. And I think that's where you're headed here. He says, I do have a question in general to a trust entity. Is there such thing as a trust, not necessarily a land trust, but a business trust? If so, are they any good for a business trust that you can think of? Is there, are there any good uses for a business trust that you can think of? Um, Wayne, I'm not a fan. Uh, trusts file uh, a whole separate under a whole different tax scheme. Um, uh, the trust tax rates are higher than personal and corporate taxes. They're used primarily for asset protection. I don't think you're going to see a tax benefit of using a business trust. Now, I know that there are some folks out there that sell business trusts for tax planning purposes, and they may want to debate that with me, but uh, they can have their own show and go over it. <laughs> but I just I got, I, I want to tell you, watch out. Be careful. Um, he says, my, as a background for the question in, applicable, uh, in an applicable manner, he says, my friend wanted to use, buy a used RV. The price of the RV was 90000 <clears throat> In California, they make citizens pay a sales tax on used vehicles. The extra tax was about nine grand. He wanted to buy the RV and not be forced to pay the sales tax, and he asked the owner uh, of the RV to form a trust and place the RV in the trust. And my friend then bought the trust, and it happened to have the RV in the trust. He paid 90000 and just transferred the trust. My friend also used the trust to buy and sell real estate. I don't think it was a land trust. The title company accepted the paperwork. He fully disclosed the beneficiaries and this and that. Um, Wayne, I would just say um, be cautious. Um, what, and this is something I mentioned in my book. Just because there's a trust involved to disguise that the ownership transferred, it doesn't mean that sales tax or transfer tax or income tax may not be applicable. Um, be very, very careful. If someone is recommending that you, uh, your friend go through this, um, and I hope you're talking about a friend and not yourself. Um, anyway, <laughs> so but uh, tell your friend, Wayne, that they should really make sure that whoever's recommending this is signing off on it with their malpractice insurance and their professional license that if you were to get audited, they'll pay the penalties or fees and represent you. So I, I'm a little concerned about those strategies that you just talked about. Um, they can be great to make closings happen quack, quicker and avoid uh, foreclosure issues, but you've got to be careful about trying to avoid tax and using a trust to do that. I, I don't think the state of California would be thrilled. So be cautious. Um, okay, over to Brandon. Love the show. Thanks for taking the time each week to help us live the dream. <laughs> You're awesome. Self-directed retirement question. Sorry if this is too complex for the show, but I wanted to give it a shot. Uh, I'm going to try to do this quickly. Um, he says, what is the best way to get a, set up a real estate investment company to hire full-time staff? If we hire part-time, I believe we are fine, but still be able to max out the employer portion of the contribution list for a 401k. Currently, our real estate flipping business is run through an LLC, of which my S-Corp owns 50%, but I want to be sure that we do not run into any issue regarding the entities being part of a controlled group. The S-Corp owns 80% of the LLC, which we pass, I believe, and or any part of the affiliated group. Series of questions, I'm not sure if we pass by. Any cool ideas or strategies would be awesome. KKOS and Kevin Kennedy rock. Well, I wish Kevin could have been here to hear that. Thank you so much, Brandon. Um... 
Let me just say, Brandon, this, uh, let me tell you what the issues are, and I know that you've been researching here because you have a level of knowledge here that the average person doesn't have. This is very complicated. But let me just explain this for everybody. When you have a business and you hire employees, the IRS wants you to make sure you treat those employees fairly if you have other businesses too. So you can't just set up a separate business, hire other employees over there and give them a retirement plan, but then, in effect, screw your other employees in the other business. If they're all part of a related business or related ownership, and that's what Brandon talks about here as an affiliated or controlled group, then the IRS or ERISA and the Department of Labor, they're all going to require you to include everybody in a 401k in all the businesses. You just can't pick and choose which business to do it in. Here's the one strategy to look at, Brandon. It's called the separate line of business, SLB rules. Look at the separate line of business rules, which means if my other business has a completely separate purpose and a number of employees that are different, you may be able to get around the control group or affiliated group issue. Also, I would talk to two to three financial advisors and get their second opinion and third opinion on how to set up your retirement plan to exclude employees of another business. It's really not going to come down to me, Brandon. I'm not going to be the one to make the call. This is going to come down to your administrator or the broker-dealer that's signing off on the retirement plan. Because if they tell you you can exclude other employees, they've got it in writing, then you freaking go for it. But just make sure that someone's signing off on it and not yourself. I see that you've got a bunch of other affiliated group type questions. They're a little too complicated for the show. Please set up some time if you'd like to, to go over that. So I appreciate it, Brandon. Okay, let's see here if we've got um, – uh, oh, Thomas says, I am in the Bay Area, and the cost to live here is too high. <laughs> or he says hi. Um, I've got another uh, question on the chat line. Let me grab this. Uh, what naming conventions are used for series LLCs, the parent versus the children? What makes it easier to name them? What name style should I stay away from? Um, okay, so for folks out there, when you set up a series LLC – most states require that the name of the parent be in the name of the sub. So if I set up Green Tree Holdings and it's a series LLC, maybe we'll reference Ken in Illinois, that one of our first questions today. If he sets up Green Tree Holdings LLC and then sets up a subseries, it would generally be called Green Tree Holdings Subseries 1, comma, LLC. So uh, for our, our, his handle here on the chat line is no trash 2009 um, you would want to make sure that you include the name of the parent in the sub so in your acronym that would mean using the name of the parent in the name of the child for your sub series llc that's it that's typically the rule if you have questions about it talk to susan in my office that's susan Cumpy. she is our head uh, business paralegal that sets, has set up hundreds of series LLCs around the country for our clients as our, one of our paralegals. She's phenomenal. So check with her. Um, okay, uh, Chet, I'm going to get you back into the, uh, the scheme here with a question. This is a question from Gary, and I know it's got some tax issues. He says, my wife plans to qualify as a real estate professional for the first time in 2015. We have five properties, 12 units, and intend to purchase two to three more in 2015. We elected to group them together already. We have 120000 in deferred depreciation deductions. Our income was too high to use most of those write-offs in prior years. We have royalties, passive income from oil and gas partnerships. I expect our rents and royalties to exceed expenses by 50000 in 2015. I recognize that these deferred losses cannot be used to offset regular income once we qualify as a real estate professional, but we can use these losses deferred before becoming a real estate professional to offset the 50000 in passive income in 2015. Well, Gary, I don't have anything to complain about in your statement. I, I think you're right on. Future losses, once your wife qualifies as a real estate professional, will be deductible against anything, and uh, your old bucket will be a write-off against future passive losses or passive income. Chet, am I thinking crazily here? Do you, would you agree with nope. that? You know, hit the nail right on the head. Essentially, the prior year losses in which she didn't qualify as a real estate professional will be pent up against, you know, future passive gains, and then any, you know, current losses on real estate losses, passive losses, will essentially be allowed at 100% because she qualifies as real estate professional. 
Okay, I like it. Ooh, now we got a great question here from. Um, uh, oh, sorry, no trash follows up on our chat line saying, do the numerals need to be spelled out? Or, I'm uh, sorry, on the the series LLC sub. You don't. I don't care if you spell it out or use numbers. You just say subseries one or subseries two, as long as you're using the parent name in that. I think you'll be fine. But again, I would recommend you have Susan, one of the paralegals, set this up for you. And folks, for all of you listening out there, it, this is why using LegalZoom, sorry to say it, or trying to do some of these entities yourself, just pay the extra couple hundred bucks and have my paralegals do it right for you. Then you don't have to worry about it. Um, I appreciate you using our services for that because that's the goal. We try to keep the cost as low as possible for that purpose. Okay, we've got Deanna here with a question. Uh, she says, our business – oh, now, Chet, this is one where it's more maybe even our internal policy at K&E. So I'm interested to see what you say. And, in okay. fact, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let you answer this one first. It says, uh, she says, our business purchased items in December and charged them on a credit card. Uh, we'll pay that credit card in mid-January. But are those expenses deductible in 2014? Or are they expenses for 2015? What's our internal well, that's really policy That's a really good there? question. Yeah, well, yeah, uh, essentially, uh, we consider it as being purchased in 2014 and the deduction will hit yes. in 2014. Um, and it's because essentially you've paid for the item, you have the item later down, you have the actual physical item, and just because you created a liability by purchasing it doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't purchased in, in 14. So we're going to allow that um, as of 2014 deduction. Yes, and you heard me in there. I totally agree, and that's what I would have said. Now, there can be, I'll throw this out, Chet, and tell me if you disagree, is that in some instances, folks, if you're on an accrual basis because you're inventory-based and you have accounts receivable and accounts payable that are a part of your tax return because you're, again, in manufacturing or retail sales, situations like that, may push an expense to the next year because you're on an accrual method. But with credit cards, the IRS, for the average cash basis taxpayer, the deduction is in 2014. Would you agree with that, Chuck? That's correct. Is that a fair statement? Yep, absolutely. Yep. Okay, good, good. All right. Great question, Deanna. Okay, this is Kevin. Uh, what point do you recommend setting up an S-Corp? My income will be ordinary and should be fairly consistent within the next three months. Well, Kevin, great question. Um, I recommend you setting up an S-Corp when you're going to have ordinary income, net income for the year that it will exceed probably around $30,000. That's the break-even point where the cost of setting it up and maintaining it will be less than the savings. So you're going to save more. So, Kevin, if you can look in that crystal ball and say, wow, over the 2015 period, and especially the next three months, I'm going to make – 30 grand net, which may be about 50 gross during the year of 2015, then you want to get your S Corp done ASAP. So you could call uh, Susan at our office and have her set up uh, a paralegal type entity that's fast. And uh, we call it a paralegal setup where it's $400 or 450 for an S Corp plus filing fee. Very, very affordable, cheaper than LegalZoom. Or you could get a full consult with one of the attorneys. Uh, for 800 bucks, and have a couple phone calls with a lot of uh, your questions answered. But uh, get it done right away, Kevin. Okay, uh, John, question uh, here says, I've really enjoyed the show and have learned a lot from it. Thank you so much. I'm recently a college grad for, uh, from BYU. Okay, we're going to move on to our next question. Uh, sorry, John, if you say you're from BYU, uh, you don't get your question answered. I apologize. Okay, I'm just joking. All right. <laughs> for those that don't know, I went to University of Utah, which is the rival school for poor John here. Uh, <laughs> he says, a friend and me are starting a real estate business. We will be forming a business LLC to own a few properties at a time in each state where we invest in. My question is, should each of us form our own LLC and have those LLCs purchase ownership in the business LLC, or, or do we not need that much separation? plus any legal, other legal suggestions that you have for a new investor partnership. Well, my first, question, uh, my first suggestion, John, is get you and your partner on a phone with one of our 
four or five attorneys, there's five of us here, with, uh, uh, please get on a call with one of us and spend an hour going through the buy-sell agreement issues, um, exit strategies, duties of partners, who's voting for what, ownership. There are. This is a whole hour discussion of what the issues are should be in the operating agreement, when you're going to take distributions, how they're going to be taxed, what are you writing off. There's so much there, John. Also, I've done radio shows exclusively on this topic on partnering with others. So look into my podcast um, history and look at some of the titles of some of those other shows uh, and listen to it. In the meantime, I don't think you each need your own LLC to be a part of the parent LLC for your rentals. Now, I assume you're doing rentals here. If you create ordinary income, each of you might need an S-corp that's a partner in the LLC. So you can see there's another issue there. We need to know what type of deals you're doing, how much money you're going to make, what's the turnaround time on these properties if it's rentals. If it's rentals, again, you, each of you should not need a separate entity. Now, if both of you are worth three or four million bucks and you're buying 30 properties and you've got a lot of equity and there's some asset protection needs, yeah, I might set up a parent LLC for each of you. Sorry, a baby LLC for each of you, maybe in an, even in the state of Wyoming, a single-member asset protection type entity that can be very affordable, and then own the parent LLC. So again, it depends on so many variables here. So get a consult with me. If you want to talk to me, I think you can get on my calendar even this week or next. My schedule's really freed up now that December 31st has passed us. So, John, uh, stay in touch. Uh, question from Chris. Um, he says, if I use a contractor to fix a property owned by my 401k and the work is over $600 and he is not incorporated, does my 401k need to send him a 1099? Chet? Well, in most cases, that uh, property is likely held in an IRA LLC. Um, if that is the case, then yes, you will have to issue it from the LLC, which holds the investment. I totally concur and agree, and thank you, Chet, for letting me just keep you. I, I sure have appreciated you being here on with me today. Folks, it's hey, a little nerve-wracking. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's nerve-wracking taking these questions blind and hoping I'm going to get the right answer, and it's nice to have Chet here with me. He does hundreds of tax returns throughout the year, and his uh, experience in the trenches is really appreciated. So, uh, Chris, let me say this. Whether your 401k owns it, you own it, and IRA own it, folks, if you paid anyone last year over $600, get a freaking W-9 from them before you even pay them. That's a good practice yep. to get into in 2015. But get a W-9, and if they're incorporated, don't send them a 1099. If they are incorporated, put your W-9 in the file and forget about it. He says, also, my contractor sends me a bill that breaks down labor and materials. Do I send him a 1099 for the whole payments to him or just labor? Send him a 1099 for everything. 1099 for all your payments, Chris. Okay, uh, question from Sanan. Hey, great to have you it's still on the show listening, Sanan. I appreciate it. Uh, thank you for the weekly show. Always enjoy listening to them live or the recording. Thank you. We are selling a rental property owned by three partners. The partnership will dissolve after the sale. Each partner will do a 1031 exchange into his or her own future investment property. Is it hard to do one ten thirty one exchange, let alone all three parties? What do you think? Any tips? I think it's pretty straightforward, Sanon. Not a big issue. Uh, the the trick is going to make sure that the rental property is owned tenants in common by the three partners. If an LLC owns the property, you typically want to deed it out to the individual owners first before you engage in the 1031 exchange so that each partner walks away with the property in their name and then they finish the 1031 and then create their own LLC on the back end. But uh, very straightforward. We can assist with the uh, consulting through it and we can recommend some accommodators, but you, uh, very straightforward, 1031. Then he said, I agree. you mentioned, yeah, you're, you're on that chat. Anything you'd add? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I have a client that's dealing with that uh, as we speak, and we're working on the books, and, and essentially they, they did have to transfer out title um, to their individual name because there were essentially some partners who were going to engage in a 1031 while others were, were not going to. Um, so certainly uh, we can help you there. I like it. Um, and then he said, you mentioned a CRT, Charitable Remainder Trust, 
as an alternative to a 1031? What will be the initial setup cost and ongoing maintenance? Who will be the trustee? Can I self-direct the investment and fund held by the trust? Oh, Sanan, you're killing me. Uh, big question. <laughs> um, oh, boy, where do I start? Um, let me say, I recorded a webinar on, rec- on creative sales strategies for the sell of property. I think you were on that webinar, Sanon, if I remember correctly. Please go back and listen to it. I go through the detail of the CRT in that process. But I will answer this quickly. Your typical setup fee for a CRT is going to be around two to three grand. Who will be the trustee? You will be. Can you self-direct the investment in the fund? You could, but typically the money in the trust is going to create an annuity to you. So you normally wouldn't invest it. Now, that's, there's different types of trusts, uh, CRTs called NIMCRUTs, NIMCRATs. Um, they can be very complex, so we would want to talk. But uh, I just wanted to quickly answer those questions so you don't feel I left you hanging. Uh, Lucen, question. Uh, I'm at a point where I need some professional direction. My business is growing. I have two rentals cash flowing well and ready to take another step forward. I have some funds available, not earning a return, and not sure if I should buy another rental, start a 401k, or something different or some combination. Uh, Who would be best to speak with your office to provide clear options? What information should I prepare for the discussion? Your counsel is... um, I always appreciate your generous counsel. Well, thanks, Lucen. Um, Two or three thoughts. I think this is good for everybody. Um, And, Chet, I'd like to hear your take. Um, But I think, folks, being diversified with your overall investments is really important. Of course, everyone knows I'm a huge fan of buying a rental every year. But I'm also a fan of building your 401k, um, having some cash in reserve, Uh, using your 401k to buy real estate too. Having a little money in the market is a quick, accessible cash in a case of emergency. So these are financial planning type questions too as to where you should maybe put your money that, uh, frankly, I'm not trained as much on. I mean, I've got hundreds and thousands of clients I've worked with over the years, and I can tell you what I see and see work. But um, Randy Lubke, a regular guest on our show, he's here in Orange County. He works with clients around the country. He's given some – and, in fact, he did a breakout session on my uh, annual um, workshop that uh, some of you may purchase for $79 or so. You'll get an email shortly about that. We've recorded the whole workshop. But um, I'd really talk to Randy. I think he could help guide you on how to spread out your money and determine what's best to do. He gives a great presentation on this topic. Um, Chet, anything you'd add to no, absolutely. I, I agree with you that uh, having a good diversified type portfolio is very beneficial. I'm also a big proponent of having a, a cash on hand for emergencies. You know, typically three to six months of your daily household expenses. That way, we're not getting to necessarily a necessary debt to to cover those emergencies. And the, you know, you, you may want to look at if you have some extra cash, at possibly eliminating some high interest debt. Because you know, if you're out there and going investing, and you're only earning five percent, but you have credit cards that are, you know, paying twenty five percent interest on. Surely, you're better off to, to pay down the credit cards than than to invest the money. I like it. Okay, I'm going to try in our last couple, two and a half, three minutes here, hit two more questions. First, from Mike, it's a fast one. He says. Uh, Mark, uh, regarding the 1031 exchange, is this only for personal or can it be used for corporations also? Thank you so much, you rock. Thanks, Mike. Uh, You can use 1031 exchanges in LLCs. You can use 1031 exchanges in corporations and for your personal. The reason why Chet and I said that these parties had to deed out of the LLC to do the 1031 is because there was multiple partners wanting to do different things. But if you have an LLC yourself and you just want to do the 1031 in the LLC name, love it. If you have a corporation, you can do a 1031. Now, the property has to be held more than a year, and it has to be for investment purposes. You can't do a 1031 on flip property, but be careful. Uh, Keith says, uh, thank you for all you do. Thanks, Keith. He said, I would like to purchase a new house and turn my current home into a rental. Love it. Is this a wise thing to do? Well, whenever you can create a rental and it cash flows, and if you move out of your home to do it, Keith, I'm, I'm open to considering it for sure. Do you have any tips on what steps I should take? Are there any tax issues I should be aware of moving the ownership of my old house into an LLC, for example? Well, Keith, it depends on what state you're in because there might be some transfer tax uh, when you deed it to an LLC. So keep that in mind. Maybe send me an email and let me know what state you're in. And we'll, in fact, you could even talk to Misty Pasco in our office that does all of our deeds, see what she says. 
Um, but no, I think the biggest step you should consider first is running the numbers. Is it better to sell the home? What's my return on cash going to be? Should I take the equity and go buy two rentals? Or may, is it going to cash flow? Don't be too emotionally attached to your home. That's what I see too many people do. They want to keep their primary residence as a rental because they're just, they can't bring it to themselves to sell it. When in the big scheme of things, it could be a poor decision. Uh, talk Talk to Randy Lupke as well, our financial advisor of choice. We love him. He could give you some feedback on that too. Well, Chet, I want to say thank you for joining. And, folks, if I didn't get to your question, I'll try to answer it here via email for two seconds or send you an article that might answer it, and we'll catch you in a few weeks at our next open forum. Chet, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Hey, absolutely. Always glad to be here. Well, I'm glad you were here. And everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Please pass the word on your social media via email. Send the newsletter around. Let people know what we're trying to do here. Trying to just be honest, take care of folks. I know we get busy, but um, we're bending over backwards. If we can, we'll do all we can to help you. So thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week, Tuesday at 11 a.m. for another Mark Kohler Show. Thanks, Chet. Thanks, everyone. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.